0: good morning. I hope you all had a good week. Um, You can say a prayer for your youth this morning. They had to sit with me in Sunday school as I was their fill-in teacher, so they're going to get two doses this morning. I'm not sure if that's fair to them or not, but it is what it is. Um, But I hope you did have a great week um, and that you've enjoyed the weather the last couple of days. Last week we started a sermon series in James, um, and it never fails that when you Um, as a congregation and as a church body, learn and and hear a message on the trials and how we're to face those trials with joy that trials don't enter into our lives. Um, And those things don't sometimes come to a head that week um, after you hear that. And so I know that for some of you this week has been a difficult one. I know that for some of you that uh, trials have come into your life that you've been dealing with some things that have been difficult. For some of you, those trials have been long and ongoing, um, but for whatever reason, this week they came to um, a different level. Um, and so just know that um, I, as your pastor, i am praying for you, that we love you, um, and that I hope that that as you go through those things, that you will allow us as a church body to serve you, that you will allow us to know what's going on, just to have a peek, maybe. I know that means making yourself vulnerable. But we desire to walk alongside you, to pray for you, um, and to go through those things with you so that you don't have to do it alone. Um, so I just wanted to start with that. Um, this week we're going to be looking at James chapter 1. We're going to be doing nineteen, um, verse 19 through the end of the chapter there, so verse 27. So you can go ahead and start turning there. Um, As I did last week, I want to give you a little bit about the context of the book to better help us to grasp what's being taught here. Last week, we looked particularly at the author um, and the audience of the book. Of course, the author being James, the half-brother of Jesus, who would go on to be the pillar of the church in Jerusalem. And then the audience, who were predominantly Jewish Christians, Who were serving in the early church. Remember that this book was written between 10, maybe 20 years after the crucifixion of Christ. So they were still learning how to unfold all that Christ had given them and apply it to their life. But this morning I want to look more at a historical view of what the book how the book has been processed in the past, how people have interpreted this book and looked at it. Throughout history, the book has often been misused or misunderstood. In fact, For most of its early existence, the book was on the edge of whether it was going to be included in Scripture or not. And the large reason for that is because if taken out of context or read inappropriately, the book very easily could be twisted or misconstrued for supporting a gospel that says that your faith or your salvation is based on your works, that you can somehow earn that salvation which saves. And so many people have looked on this book with a little bit of skepticism because of that. In fact, Martin Luther, who was the father of the Protestant Reformation, would call this book a the Epistle of Straw or the Letter of Straw because he so adamantly believed in that your salvation was by, was by grace through faith. Um, and he held so fastly to that that he at times looked at James and saw a different gospel, and so at times he dismissed the book. But if we study the book closely and we allow the Holy Spirit to help us to divide the Scripture rightly, what we begin to see in James is not at all a book that is promoting the salvation somehow based on your works, somehow based on you being good enough, but rather what we see is a book that is helping us to understand that if we have been transformed, if the gospel has changed who we are and we are now a new person, that there should be a reflection of that in how we act and what we do. Whereas Romans looks at our new relationship with God and our new standing with God in light of the gospel, James instead looks at our relationship with others and our witness in a lost and broken world in light of what has happened to us as believers. And so I hope that this morning and as we go through this book that you won't, get confused about what james is saying james is not saying that if you're not doing these things that you won't be saved because you haven't earned it rather james is saying if you're not doing these things if you're not acting if this isn't evidence in your life then you must question whether you have been saved by grace because if you've been saved by grace then there will be fruit in your life that bears witness to that Um, And so that's a little bit more about the context of this book, and especially I think it helps us to understand this morning as we begin to dive into more what James says about how our actions are transformed, not just um, our hearts, um, but that that goes even farther than that. So hopefully by now you found James chapter 1, verse 19. If you would stand to honor the reading of God's word, we will begin there, like I said, in verse 19. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I come to you as I've come to you this entire week in confession in repentance knowing that there are things in my life that do not reflect the transformation that has happened in my heart knowing that I fall short of the standard of holiness and perfection that you have set before me knowing that in that that I have not strived for you Father I pray Lord this morning that you would forgive me in that Father I pray for us as a church Lord, that we would hold the mirror of Scripture up to our hearts and we would ask ourselves whether that looks like us. And if it does not, that we would have the willingness to change. Father, we are here and we desire to be in your word because we seek transformation. We seek to look more like you. So, Father, I just pray this morning, Lord, that your word would be clear, that your word would be understandable so that it could cut away the things in our lives that are not of you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This week as I was studying um, one of the books that I'm using to um, do this study um, and the sermon series, I got to the second chapter of that book. And at the beginning of that chapter, it gave a warning that if you desired to um, be, live a comfortable life in your pastorate, or if you desired to not be ran out of the church, that you should not preach the book of James. And I thought to myself, thanks for putting that in chapter 2 and not in chapter 1. But the reality of that is true. If you've been through James, James gets right in your face and says, what are you doing? And he gets right in your face, and he begins to poke on your chest a little bit and saying, you call yourself a believer, but you don't act like it. You call yourself a Christian, but are you a disciple? Are you a follower of him? And I know for me this week that God has been convicting me, that he's been pointing to things in my life and saying, is that what I told you to do? And so I've gotten my can kicked around the yard a little bit this week, So, welcome to the party. I hope that you are buckled in um, because this is a passage not for the faint of heart, but this is a passage that speaks directly to who we are as believers, who we are as disciples. And it calls us to our feet to say, Is this who you are? Or is this just what you say you are? So, we're going to look through this passage together. And I'll remind you that the sermon series this week or this over the next couple weeks is about faith that works about faith that transforms us so the question that's going to drive us this week as we go through this passage is how does the word transform our actions that's not in your powerpoint so if you're wanting that question you're going to have to write it down on your own but how does the word transform our actions and the word being the gospel the first answer to that question is The Word transforms our actions when we accept the Word. We see there in James 19, he says, Know this, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So often as believers, when we look at a broken and lost world, we can be easily frustrated by the things that we see. I could, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but think in your mind over the last few months how many times have you watched, sat in front of your TV watching either the news or a television show and started talking to yourself about how crazy the world that we live in is. And there's something inside of you that grows frustrated and it grows even towards a little bit of anger towards these crazy people that are doing all this stuff. Or you have people in your life that you know are doing things that aren't right, and it's easy for us to grow angry and frustrated at them for what they're doing. But God warns us there. Yes, not all anger is bad, and there are times when we should allow a holy anger to come over us and say, no, wrong is wrong and right is right. But the truth is, most, time, most often, that anger that comes inside of us when we look at those things and the anger that we express outwardly is not from a holy place, but rather it is from our own desires. It's for our own desires that people look like us, that people think like us, and it is a selfish anger. And James says, that does not produce the righteousness of God. And if you want proof of that, look at our country look at where we are at. Has the anger of the church produced the righteousness of God in the places that we live? And I don't think there's a single one of us that could say, yes, it has. But rather, we have allowed our anger and our frustration with our culture and with those that we come into contact not to bring us to the point of righteousness, but rather we have allowed it to bring us to a point where there is a greater divide between believers and disciples of Christ and those that are lost than there's ever been. And that chasm is not caused by something good, but rather it is caused by our own selfishness. And it has gotten in the way of us being able to deliver the gospel in a a manner of love and compassion. Yes, there are times when we need to call out sin and call it what it is. But we must do so out of the word of God and out of a holy passion that is inside of us and not out of our own desires. So if it's not our own actions that transform us, if it's not our own actions that bring others to the righteousness of God, what is it? He tells us in verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We are transformed by the word then when it replaces our own desires. You'll remember last week as we went through James, we looked there in verse 14, and it says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And We talked about how our, the responsibility for our sin lies within us. It lies in that carnal man that we have been since the beginning of time, since we were born, and those desires that are within us cause us to chase after things that are not of God. And James says here, farther down, those desires must be replaced by the implanted Word of God. It is when we desire the Word of God, when we make it part of who we are, that it drives us to be different from the rest of the world. It drives us to pursue those only things of God that He has called us to, to love like no one else can love, to forgive those that do not have forgiveness in their own hearts and do not in our minds deserve it to go to the ends of the earth and to share the gospel with those that have no other way of hearing it it is only when the word is part of who we are when it is ingrained in us that that happens that is why memorization of scripture is so important and i as your pastor must be admit in front of you that that has not been a passion of my heart I love the Word, I study the Word, but I have a hard time memorizing. And because I have a hard time memorizing, I say, oh, it's okay. I don't need to worry about that very often. But the truth is, is that memorization and that putting of the Word into your heart and ingraining it into who you are is what transforms you and replaces those desires. And his audience would have understood this. Turn with me to James thirty-one thirty-one, real quick. I want you to see something that I found I knew, but I found Jeremiah 31. Sorry. It's even up there in the PowerPoint, and I can't read straight. Jeremiah 31, 31. I want you to see with me something that his audience would have understood. Remember, his audience are early Jews. They're Christians, but their history, their culture is rooted in the Old Testament. Keep in mind the implant that phrase, implanted word. Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And we would learn, he's speaking here to Jews, but we would learn later this new covenant is for all of us. But I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. Remember that phrase, implanted word? I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, for the from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Did you see that there? That it was always the plan of God that when the new covenant came, when he instituted it through the blood of Jesus Christ and bought you, that his desire was to put his word, to put his law into your heart, that it may be what produced in you a change and a transformation that led to the works of God being coming through you. These works do not earn your salvation, but rather they are a result of the Spirit living inside of you. To get off on a side note, just really quickly, also in there, when it talks about that brothers won't teach brothers, what he is talking about there is the Levitical system of the priesthood that was set up in that time where for most people in the nation of Israel and in the nation of Judah, what they knew about the Old Testament, what they knew about the law was not any innate thing inside of them, but it was rather what, the, what their brothers, what the Levites had taught them. They weren't able to read it on their own, but they had to trust upon someone else to tell them, thus saith the Lord. And God says in the new covenant, which we experience now in our day, that no longer do you need to trust on me. No longer do you need to trust on a teacher to say, thus saith the Lord, but rather the word has been put in your heart. The word has been put in your spirit. And you can know him on a deeper, grander level than you could ever imagine. And that is what changes us. It's that relationship, that knowing that drives us forward, that pushes us to desire him more and more every day. And in that, other people see the gospel, they see what God has done in your life, and they desire it as well. So how does the word transform our actions? The word transforms our actions when it is implanted in us and we accept it with meekness and humbleness knowing that it is all that we need and it is everything that we should desire. The second way that the word transforms us is the word transforms us when we do the word. James goes on there in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then he goes on to a very famous passage. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. I was talking with our youth this morning, and we had something similar come up in our discussion. And so if they will forgive me, I'm going to talk a little bit about that again. They're going to get a double dose of it here. But it is not enough, James says, that we gain knowledge, that we just hear the word and then let it go out. We live in a culture, and the youth put this very much better than I could have, but we live in a culture where Google is now a verb. Google it. You don't know the answer to something, Google it. I use it as a verb. My wife will tell you that's one of the first things that she learned about. We would be talking about something, and I would go, let's Google it. Like, why are we sitting here debating this? Like, let's just look it up. God let man create the Internet for a reason. Like, let's use it. And so we would do that. But we talked about how, as a culture, we have become obsessed with the gaining of knowledge. We love the Internet because it will tell us anything we want to know about. But let's face it most of that knowledge is worthless. Like, it doesn't change who we are. It doesn't change anything. I want to know who had the best batting average with runners in scoring position when you were down by two, and I can figure that out. I can, it takes me like 30 seconds to find that information. But what does it change my life? But we are obsessed with knowledge, and that, that obsession has creeped into the church. We have more Bible studies, we have more translations of the Bible, we have more apps than any man could ever imagine so that we can gain knowledge of the Word of God. We all have our favorite teachers, and none of those things are bad. But the problem is, is that we have studied and we have gained knowledge and we come to Sunday mornings and gain knowledge, but it never affects us. It never changes us. We, go, we come on Sunday morning, we come on Wednesday night, we do our Bible studies daily, but then we go out into the world and you could never tell what we learned about. I asked the youth, we were studying a passage in Acts, I said, what was, what was the first sermon series? What was the main passage of the first sermon series that we did? And youth, I'm not trying to embarrass you because if I asked the congregation, they wouldn't know either. But I asked them, what's the what's the passage that I used in that first series? And they all kind of were like, kind of guessing, and they were getting fairly close. And finally I looked at them and I said, do you realize that passage that I used as the main part of the first sermon series I did here is the same passage we're learning about in Sunday school this morning? And they all went, you're right. But adults, most of you wouldn't have remembered it either. We don't allow it to transform us. We just walk out, and we can't remember any of it. But like I told the youth, what a shame, because the reason that we gather here, the main thing that comes from preaching of the Word is not so I can hear myself talk, not so you can check off a box and say, I went to church. Because trust me, I can hear myself talk any moment of any day. My wife will tell you, okay? but rather it is so that the Word would transform us. We come to worship, we come to fellowship, but primarily we come to hear the Word so it might change us. And if that is not what is happening, then we must look in the mirror and say, Who am I? And do I have God as my first and foremost desire, and do I have Him as who I want to be? And the sad truth is that for many of us sitting here this morning, for many of those sitting in congregations all over the United States, if we were to look in the mirror and answer honestly, most of us would say, no. I am not here to be transformed. I am here to check a box. I'm here because I'm supposed to be. We are here to be changed, to look different, to hear the Word of God and allow it to do something in us that nothing else can. Matthew 5, I said Matthew that time, right? Matthew 5, 24 through 27, Jesus puts it a different way. You can look over there if you want, or you can just listen, but there it's a parable that most of us have heard. Most of us probably could even give maybe not an exact quote, but probably pretty close. Matthew 5, 24 through 27, Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, there in 524 through 27. Uh, let me find it, sorry. That is not the right passage. Let me tell you what the right passage is. It's um, the passage there, though, is where Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, the man who hears my word and then does it is like a man who builds his house upon the rock. And then the wind and the w- and the waters came and the house stood because it was built on the rock. But the man who hears my word and does not do it is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and laid the foundation on the sand. And when the waters rose and the winds came, the house came down and it crashed. When we examine ourselves in the mirror, and ask ourselves those deep questions about what we desire and what we care about and then see in the word of God what those things should be. If we do nothing, we are like the foolish man. We are fools ourselves because we have heard the word of God and then chosen to ignore it. The third point here, after, Jesus, or after James says we must do the Word, then he goes on and he gives us examples. We are transformed by the Word when we hear it and accept it. We are transformed by the Word when we do the Word, and we are transformed by the Word when we share the Word. And he gives us three examples here. He says, first, we, an example of us being transformed by the Word, by being doers of the Word, is our tongue and we're not going to camp out here long because he spends a whole huge passage later on on the tongue, but he says there in verse 26, "If if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. What comes out of your mouth should be a reflection of what is in your heart, and that includes the things that do not come out of your mouth. I think, for me, that has been what is convicting about this this week. It's not so much what comes out of my mouth. The things that come out of my mouth, for the most part, aren't the problem. It's the things that don't come out of my mouth when they should that are the problem. It's when I don't share the gospel in that moment that I know I need to. It's when I don't give that word of encouragement to that brother and sister. It's when I don't offer up a prayer for them. Those things are just a big sign. Those things that don't come out of your mouth are just as big a sign as what is important to you in here as the things that do come out. And so James reminds us that our tongue is a vital component in this transformation process. He goes on and gives us another example. He says, not only is your tongue part of it, but there in verse 27, a religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. We are to for others specifically to care for those that are less fortunate or those that are experiencing trials in their life do we have the heart to see those that are hurting and to reach out to them in their time of need and provide something for them the gospel is mostly concerned yes with our hearts and our standing before the Lord but the gospel is also one that is concerned with the, the needs of people here. We look at the life of Christ, and you cannot help but notice that he spoke not only to their spiritual condition, but he reached out and touched their lives physically. He healed their ailments. He met them where they were, and that opened the door for him to talk about the kingdom of God. My hope is, is that as we continue to grow as a church and continue to mature and I mature in my own life that we would seek those out and I'm hoping in the fall even that we'll be able to do what to celebrate Orphan Care Sunday and to look for ways that we as a congregation can meet the needs of those that do not have an earthly father and mother and that's going to take a lot of different pictures for some of us that means helping financially, for some of us that means Helping with respite care, which we'll talk about later. Some of you know what that is. For some of you, that for very few of you, that may even mean opening your home. But that should be a reflection of who we are, how we look for those needs, and how we address them. And then lastly, as an example there, he says, And to keep oneself unstained from the world. The image there is one is that white robe that we're given and that we find ways to separate ourselves from the things that might stain it. And we all have that pair of clothes that it's like those are our special clothes. We walk gingerly around everything to make sure we don't get anything on them. The idea here is not that we separate completely from the world. It's not that we don't, we're not part of it. But the idea is that we separate ourselves from the worldly pursuits that so often overtake us. We are part of this world. We should not go to some communion and build walls up around this place and only live inside of it. We must go out. We must meet people where they're at. We must address sin and call it what it is and call people to repentance and the gospel. But we must be very careful that we do not allow worldly pursuits, what the world says is important, to override that which what God says is important. We must not allow our bank accounts to control who we are. We talked about this with the youth this morning. We must not allow our possessions to own us rather than for us to own our possessions. All of these are ways and things that we show that we have been transformed by the Spirit, that we've been transformed by the Word. And if these are not part of who you are, then you must question what has happened in your life. And this leads us to the conclusion. It leads us to two questions that we must ask this morning in light of what we've been told. First question, are you being transformed? Can you see in your life how God is using his word and using his people to change who you are? Salvation, we've talked about this. Salvation, yes, is a moment when you said to the Lord, please forgive me, I repent of my sins and I make you Lord of my life. But salvation is also a process that we walk through as God continually makes us look more like him, as he matures us in the faith. So as James says, we will lack nothing. Is that happening in your life? Are you allowing it to take place? Or when you look back two years, five years, ten years, you say, you know what, my walk is pretty much the same as it was then. And God, I don't see how God has brought me forward since then should be a deepening relationship it should be a transforming relationship where you look more like him second question is is your is god your desire we talked about this i talked about this in my newsletter a little bit this week but if god is not your desire if he is not what you are passionate about and what you want to pursue then you will never understand what it means to count trials as joy you will never understand what it means to have that changing relationship that where his word drives you to do what you do. And so you must ask yourself at the very beginning of all of this, is he my desire? Or is it my job? Is it my family? Is it my spouse? Is it my bank account? Or is it him? he has bought you with the blood of his own body and he demands of you everything because he has given you that which you could not earn on your own and because he knows that he is what is best for you he desires you but do you desire him I don't know where you're at this morning I don't know what God's doing in your life. But God, I believe, is convicting you. He is prompting you this morning not to remain where you're at, but to do something, to allow His Word to transform you. So this morning, I just ask that you would respond appropriately to that. Last week, we instituted something new, um, and so I, I kind of feel like we probably need to refresh that, but if you you just need to come to the altar and deal between you and God, then this side is for you. And we hope that you'll come and have time with just Him alone. But if you're going through a trial, you're going through something, and you just need to know that there are people in this church who care about you and that you're not walking this alone and you would like them to come, maybe they pray with you, maybe they just lay a hand on your shoulder, then this side is for you. And feel welcome to come up Come before the Lord and allow your church family, allow your brothers, sisters to express that they are with you and that you are not walking that trial alone. I don't know what God's prompting you to do this morning, but he's not prompting you to do nothing. He's prompting you to allow his word to transform who you are and how you act and what you consider your priorities. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up and just lead us in a time of response, and then i